Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. Welcome to Bible Interact Presents. I am Dr. Ann Davis. In the past few weeks, I've been talking about the remnant. First about the remnant out of Israel, and then the remnant out of the church. Let me review very briefly this concept of the remnant. And then in this session today, I'm going to talk about the passage in Ezekiel where the two sticks come together. I have come to the conclusion that those two sticks represent the two remnants, one remnant of Israel and the other remnant of the church. And there are reasons I have drawn that conclusion. I'm going to show you that in the text itself. And a lot of it is in the Hebrew, but I'll I'll show you. We'll do it in English, but I'll show you what the Hebrew is conveying. We started with the children of Israel and I have connected the inheritance of the birthright with the remnant. The birthright was a very special inheritance that the firstborn son received simply because he was born first and he was raised to become the leader of the next leader of his clan or tribe. Scripture tells us that all the children of Israel were born to the birthright as God's firstborn son so that all the Jews are born to this special inheritance. Now that doesn't mean that you know, it has nothing to do with belonging to God. They all belong to God, but the nature of the inheritance is a special inheritance, which is a position of leadership. However, they had to de- to demonstrate righteous behavior, and that was not the corporate nation of Israel displaying righteous behavior, but individuals out of Israel dis- displaying and demonstrating righteous behavior. If they walked in righteousness, they were free from the ways of the world. If they did not, if they were walking in sin, they were in bondage to the world. Only God determines who is worthy to inherit the birthright. One of the requirements is that we have to stand faithful to the end, so we we don't know. But God will determine who is worthy to inherit that leadership role, that special inheritance. Those who inherit the birthright from Israel will be a remnant, and I, I spent a couple of sessions, I think, showing you from Scripture the connection between those who are worthy of the birthright, which is a leadership role, and those who will be part of the remnant, which is, again, a leadership role. And then I went in and I showed you from Scripture how Gentile believers are not born to the birthright. Now, I am not a Jew. I am a Gentile, so I am not born to the birthright. However, Yeshua is God's firstborn son, we read in the book of Hebrews. He's the firstborn son. Uh, God has declared him to be worthy of this inheritance of the birthright to which the firstborn son is entitled because he has been seated at the right hand of the father. So he has been declared worthy. Now, the Hebrew word for for birthright or um, inherit, the, for inherit is yarash, and it, it has a double meaning. It also means to possess. So if you have the inheritance of the birthright, you have to go in and possess the land. That's why you have to be worthy. You have to be strong. You have to be mighty. You have to be obeying God, because God is going to be the commander-in-chief, just like he was at Jericho. 
and and so um, so Yeshua has not yet returned to possess his inheritance, but he will return to possess his inheritance. Now, I, I further went on, I spent, I think, a couple of sessions uh, showing from Scripture that a remnant of the church will be with Yeshua when he he possesses his inheritance, and that will be the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Uh, those who will be part of the remnant are in Christ. There's a distinction between Christ in you, which is the gift, and that's how we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive the, receive the gift of... of um, belonging to God, receive the, receive the gift of the promise of eternal life with God at some time in the future. So, And we do that through our faith in Christ. That's the only way we receive it. Through our faith in Christ, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit in us. That is, is Christ in you, the hope of glory, it tells us in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you. That's the gift. When you are in Christ, you are walking as Jesus Christ walked, which it tells us in 1 John, we are to walk as he walked. So it is only those who are in Christ, those who have become his disciples, those who are dedicated to walking in the ways of God that will be with him, that will be part of, that will be, be, be the remnant, the remnant out of the church, church meaning believers in Christ, will be the remnant out of the church um, when Yeshua claims or possesses his inheritance at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. So what we're going to talk about now is that we seem to have two remnants. We have a remnant of Israel, and we have a remnant of the church, meaning Gentile believers in Yeshua. Now, true, the, the two are becoming one, neither Jew nor Gentile, which is prophetic of what is future. We're to be the walk as the new creation, which is prophetic of the future. So we have it in part now. But... So it, the two have not been joined yet. They're going to be joined at the, at the, at during the millennial kingdom when it will be a remnant of Israel joined with a remnant of the church. Now, of course, who is their commander-in-chief? Their commander-in-chief, of course, is Yeshua. Um, now, I'm, this is the suggestion I'm making. I'm going to show you from Ezekiel how I have drawn this conclusion. I've drawn it from a, from a number of places in Scripture, but Ezekiel is a powerful one. So, what we have in Ezekiel, and if you have your Bible, turn to Ezekiel uh, uh, chapter 37, and we're going to be in verses 16 through 19. Now, I'm going to show you that these verses are in a chiastic construction. If you don't see the chiasm, you're going to miss the whole point of the passage, and you're going to have to understand what a, a chiastic construction is. So let me just explain what, very briefly I'm going to make sure you understand what chiasm is. Chiasm was a literary device very common in the ancient world, not only throughout scripture, but in other ancient Near Eastern literature as well. In our modern Western world, the climax comes at the end. You know, it builds up, 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 the story builds up until finally at the end we get to a climax, and then there may be a tiny little anti-climax at the end, but essentially the climax is at the end. With chiasm, the climax is in the middle. And on either side of the center, chiastic center, the climax in the, in the chiastic center, are parallel lines. So I want you to get a picture in your mind of a pyramid. 
And coming up one side of the pyramid are parallel lines. Let's call them line A, line B, going up the side of the pyramid. And you get to the very point of the pyramid, and that's our chiastic center C. Now you go down on the other side of the pyramid. And as you're coming down, you get a B, which is parallel to the B on the left side. So there's a B on the left, B on the right. And then as you come down even farther to the bottom of the pyramid on the right side, you have the letter A, which is parallel to the letter A on the bottom of the left side. So this is the way the chiastic um, construction operates. Now, when you're reading a passage, how do you recognize a chiastic construction? Number one, you have to hear the repetition, because repetition is going to pull two lines together in parallel. Now, not all repetition is going to lead to a chiastic construction, but if you hear the repetition, you go, oh, could this be chiastic? After you hear the repetition, you look for parallel lines. Are, are the, is the repetition forming parallel lines? If it's forming parallel lines, then the next thing you do is to look and see if there's a chiastic center. Now, I'm going to have, I'm going to practice with a very simple little chiastic structure in one of the Psalms. The Psalms are filled with these parallel lines. And, and it's not actually going to form a chiastic uh, construction. I simply want you to learn about these parallel lines. The Hebrew poetry has rhythm, which leads to emotion, which is usually all we hear. But if you stop to identify the parallel lines, what's making them parallel, and most important, what is the relationship between the parallel lines, then you're going to, out of that will emerge meaning. And the meaning will be a depth of meaning. It's not meaning on the surface. It's a depth of meaning. This is the way the artistic nature of Hebrew conveys clues that give you a depth of understanding in scripture. So let me show you how this works. I want you to listen to two lines. They're in parallel. I'm reading from Psalm chapter, Psalm 6 verse 1. And, and perhaps just close your eyes, listen for the rhythm, and also listen for the repetition. Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. You heard the the rhythm, and let's look at the at the parallel the the repetition of, of words. They're not the exact same words, but they're synonyms. Rebuke is a synonym with chasten or discipline. Anger is a synonym for wrath. So listen again to the repetitions. Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. These are synonyms, but these parallel lines very often are not synonymous. There's a relationship between them. There's something that connects them. And the meaning is going to be in the relationship. So, so listen to, to the next verse, uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 6, verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. We have gracious in parallel with heal. The relationship is that God's grace heals us. We can't heal ourselves. We can't click our fingers and say, I want to be healed now. Uh, it is all God's grace that will lead to healing. And if you are healed, you praise God and thank him because all healing comes from the grace of God. But be gracious to me, O Lord. Heal me, O Lord. So there's a relationship between God's grace and healing. And then we get, for I am pining away, for my bones are dismayed. 
The English translation dismayed comes from the Hebrew word that means disturbed or terrified. I am pining away for my bones are terrified or disturbed. Uh, and so let's read the whole thing here. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. I'm pining away. I'm, I'm disturbed. I'm terrified. I Help God, please. Uh, please, will you bestow your grace upon me to make me whole, to heal me, so that I will no longer be disturbed. I will no longer be terrified. This is the way you look at the inner meaning of these parallel lines. Now what we're going to do is we're going to uh, take a look at Ezekiel chapter 37. So let me give you a minute to get your Bible. Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm going to have to go get my Bible. All right. Everybody has a Bible. Even me. I got my Bible. <laughs> so we're going to go to Ezekiel and chapter 37. Uh, by... Um, and we're going to be reading in verses 16 through 19. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, I'm just going to read verse 16. And, and then I'm going to read verse 19, and I want you to listen for repetition. Son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel, his companions. Now verse 19, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it with the stick of Judah and make them one stick and they will be one in my hand. I sure hope you heard the repetition. <laughs> you know, when I, when I was working on this, um, I think once before I've worked on it for, for, with just one verse, looking at the words in one verse, and then I read the whole thing, and I could, went, whoops, look at the repetition. I bet we have a chiastic construction, and in fact we do. Now, the chiastic construction, um, I'm going to show you again. In verse 16, Judah is going to come first, and then Joseph the stick of Ephraim. In verse 19, Joseph, this in the stick of Ephraim, is going to come first, and then Judah. So it, they get reversed. First Judah, then Joseph. Joseph, then Judah. They get reversed, which, which again was an indication this is going to be a chiastic construction because you get A, B, B, A. Judah is A, Joseph is B. Joseph is B, Judah is A, which means what is in the chiastic center. That's going to be the heart of the whole message, and I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. So... It's, if you get the picture of the pyramid, uh, letter A at bottom left is Judah. Coming up on the left side is Joseph B. At the, the pinnacle of the pyramid is C with a question mark. It's going to be a chiastic center. Coming down on the right is B, Joseph, and then at the bottom, A, Judah. This is what our chiastic construction is going to look like. Now, the key thing is to identify the parallel lines and then the relationship between the parallel lines. For, so let's take a look at the parallel of Joseph. We have, for Joseph the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel his companions. The second one, 
the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions. So we've got we've got a, a, the ear. The ancient ear is going to hear this, and you've got to practice it. You've got to hear it also. The first one simply Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel. The second one is Joseph. Which is in the hand of Ephraim. In the hand means in the authority or power of Ephraim. What is this kicking off in your mind? I hope it's kicking off the birthright. Because Joseph, Reuben, was the firstborn son of Jacob who was born to the birthright. But he was not worthy, so it was given to Joseph. Joseph received the birthright. Joseph had two sons. Manasseh was the firstborn. He was entitled to the birthright, but it was given to Ephraim. So this is Joseph, with, which is in the hand, the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand, in the power, in the authority of Ephraim. This is talking about the birthright. And, and then it says, and the tribes of Israel, his companions. Now, uh, there's something else here I want you to take a look at, because we have Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house, oh, all the house of Israel, his companions. And the second line. It's the tribes of Israel, his companions. Now, we've got to look at the clues to our mystery. We've seen here that the first clue is that the stick of Ephraim is in the hand or power authority of Ephraim. He inherited the birthright from Joseph. Secondly, those who inherit the birthright will be a remnant. We know that. We've worked it. We know that. That not all the children of Israel are going to inherit the birthright, only those who are worthy and they're identified as a remnant. Now, I suggest here that because of the house of Israel, tribes of Israel, those really are fairly synonymous, that what it's pointing to is that the remnant from Joseph, which is in in the hand of Ephraim, will be from all the house or tribes of Israel. This is looking at the remnant from Israel. That's what we're looking at. All right. Now we've got to get to the parallel lines of Judah. And we're going to get the same kind of thing going on with the parallel lines of Judah, which is going to be pretty exciting. (laughs) All right. We've got one stick for Judah and the sons of Israel, his companions. And then the parallel... The stick of Judah, period. The ancient ear would have heard the deletion. First line, one stick of Judah and the sons of Israel, his companion. Second line, the stick of Judah. The sons of Israel, his companions, has been deleted. It's a, it's a glaring, clashing sound in the ear when you get used to reading it uh, and listening. You're not, see, we read the Bible. The people of the ancient world didn't, didn't have Bibles. They, they learned it by listening. And let me, let me t- talk to you here about, about, about the clue. We know that uh, Judah will inherit the birthright. We know that because we see that in Jacob's blessings of his 12 sons. And not only does Joseph's blessing identify him as receiving the birthright, but, but Jacob's blessing also identifies him as receiving the birthright. He's going to be the king. He's going to have the scepter. He's, it, you know, he's, There's all kinds of things in his blessing that identify him as getting the birthright. Now, what we have seen in the relationship of these two parallel lines, first we get Judah with Israel, then we get Judah without Israel. It's Judah was the leader of Israel before the coming of Yeshua. Yeshua 
descends from the line of Judah, it has been transferred from Judah to Yeshua. I think that's what it's doing. And it's here because of the deletion. One stick for Judah and the sons of Israel, his companion. Parallel the stick of Judah, period. I think it means that uh, the stick is, is no longer Judah with Israel, but now Judah with Yeshua. So Yeshua descends from the line, uh, Yeshua descends from the line of Judah. Gentiles come to God through faith in Yeshua. So I think what we're getting here is the second step, stick is, is the remnant of, of the church, church meaning believers in Christ. So we're getting two remnants. We're getting one remnant from Joseph with the, with the uh, stick in the hand of Ephraim, and we're getting the other remnant, the stick of Judah, that has passed from the sons of Israel to Yeshua, and, and who now has those with faith in him that will be a remnant also. I'm calling it the remnant out of the church. All right, there's another clue which is really important, and this is the one that just kicks it off because we have the word companions. It's been, it's been repeated. Um, we have Judah and his companions. We have Joseph and his companions. You have to let your curiosity draw you to key words. What is the, the Hebrew word for for companion. All right, I have to explain this. There are two Hebrew words that mean friend or companion or close one. In Israel today, you you hear haver or haverim, meaning my friend. However, in scripture, this is not used very often and it's used in a very, very distinct way. The most common word for friend in biblical Hebrew is re'ah, which means someone who's close to you, your family, your neighbors, you live in a little village and all your neighbors, you're, you know, you're kind of related and, 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 and your neighbors and, and your friends and, and those who are close to you, re'ah. All right? Haver, on the other hand, in Hebrew, conveys the relationship that is so close that the two become one. Now, let me explain this to you. The word haver is used for the joining together of the curtains of the tabernacle. They're joined together so they become one. It's also used for putting together the ephod for the holy priest. And the parts are, are put together so they become one. Um, going back to the curtains, we read in, in um, Exodus, Betzalel joined five curtains to one another. It's you all, Echad means one, and that's the masculine, and the feminine is Achat, and we get Achat El Achat. It's, so it's putting them together as one. And it's very powerful in the Hebrew how it puts it together as one. So it's, those curtains are going to come together, and they're going to be absolutely unified as one, and the same thing happens with the ephod. So what we have here is the companions with Ephraim, remnant of Israel, the companions with Judah, Yeshua and remnant of the Gentiles, uses the word haver, the two have become one. This is important because remember that Christ in you is the gift. You, you, become, you belong to God, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through your faith in Christ, that's the only way you get it, through your faith in Christ, and that is the gift. But when you are in Christ, you are walking as he walked, and you are as one with Christ. You are totally one with Christ. 
and um, and that I think is the real key to this passage. It's talking about the remnant because it's not just all the house of Israel. It starts out all the house of Israel, but it narrows it down by using the word companions. It's those children of Israel who are one with their commander, and their commander metaphorically here is Ephraim. Um, the firstborn son. So it's all those who are worthy to inherit the birthright and they are one with Ephraim. That is the remnant of Israel. And then we get from Judah comes Yeshua and those who are one with him. Now, not all Christian believers are one with him. I would say very few are. And I hope you are. Or let me just tell you the secret. God only sees the heart. You don't have to be perfect. He sees the heart. So make your heart truly want to be one with your Lord Yeshua. And then you are unified as one. You are chaverim. You, you, are, you are friends that are, that are so close, like Jonathan and David were so close, that, that, that you become one with him. So when you speak, you speak for him. When you walk, you walk for him. You are his disciple. You, you, you act for him. You minister to God's people as a disciple. This is what it means. And I believe that this passage is teaching us about um, the future coming together of the two remnants, the remnant of Israel and the remnant of what I call the church, meaning believers in Christ. And, um, and, and, and they have a role to play, which we've talked about, which is a final battle, and which is going to defeat God's uh, enemy and our enemy. So with that, I hope you've been blessed with this teaching, and I wish you shalom.